Well, we are uh, continuing a conversation that we've been in for several weeks now called Making Change. And uh, the conversation on the surface may seem like we're talking about money because we are. Uh, But I hope you can look beneath that subject to see that it's really a conversation about our hearts. Uh, Jesus, 25% of the words that we have recorded that Jesus said are about money. And it's not because God needs your money. It's because God knows the design of the human heart is so wrapped up and intertwined into material possessions and wealth that he understood we, is, we needed to know uh, his perspective on wealth and money. And so Jesus talked a lot about it and we've been discussing it for several weeks. And we've been saying that if we could make a few adjustments in what we believe about money, then we could have a change in our life in terms of how we handle our money. And the way we handle our money can have an impact then on our relationships, on our marriage relationship, on our relationship with friends and family and in our community. And together, if just Christians, I'm not talking about anybody who may be here who, who wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, but if just Christians would make some changes in the way we handled money, we could see some really big change in our community and in our world. And to demonstrate that, we've challenged you for the last several weeks and from now to Thanksgiving to just bring your pocket change. Not to spend any pocket change, but just bring it and put it in this glass jar. And we're up to about a third of the, of, of the glass jar being filled. Now, I'm not sure who's going to roll all of that over Thanksgiving, uh, but that's not going to be a fun job. But what's exciting is to see how when all of us just make a little change, together that little change adds up to big change for somebody. So we're looking forward to seeing what God will do. Now, some of these changes we've been discussing from week to week are, uh, are maybe new to some of you. And for others, they, they may be something that you're familiar with or have heard about before. But the very first change we talked about several weeks ago that may be the biggest change for all of us is to change from believing what the world says about us, that we are poor, into believing what the Scripture actually says about us, that we are rich. So changing our attitude from poor to rich. And we said several weeks ago that wealth is not a destination or a dollar amount but it's an attitude of the heart, that it's a condition of our heart. And as long as we continue to believe the lie that we're poor, we'll never be good at using the resources that God has entrusted to us. And then a couple weeks back, we said that we needed to change from an attitude of greed to an attitude of generosity, moving from greed to generosity. And we said that generosity is the antidote to greed. The challenge with that is, however, that greed is the very thing that keeps us from being generous. So it's kind of like a cycle. We need an example of someone else who breaks that cycle. And we see that in Jesus Christ, who gave up the riches of heaven, who made himself poor so that we who are poor might be rich. So moving from greed to generosity. And then last Sunday we said we needed to move from believing that we're the owners of the things we possess to understanding that we are the managers of the things that God has entrusted to us. I am responsible to manage what God is entrusting to me. That it's not just about the money that I do or should give to the church. It's about everything I own, all the money I have, and everything I possess. That if we truly believe it all belongs to God, then every dollar we spend, we spend differently. We spend considering how would the Lord have me use this money. 
That we move from being the owner to understanding that we are the manager. Now, we're pulling all of these principles from a passage that you can find in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a young pastor. And he was trying to help Timothy uh, know how to pastor the church. And he was giving him instructions of what to say to Christians. So these instructions were specifically written to Christians. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you get to stand on the outside looking in, hearing what it is that the Bible says to us who are believers about how we handle our money. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Here's what it says. Command those who are rich. And right there we understood that we better believe we're rich or we're going to discount everything else this passage says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so, what's that next word? Uncertain. How many of you have lived long enough to figure out that wealth is uncertain? Anybody in here know that already? Okay, so let me tell you all you need to do to, to believe that is every night on the news uh, they give a little report called the stock market report. Now, why do they do that? Because they have no idea what it's going to do from day to day, do they? I mean, they can have all the experts in the world who can project, but if they really knew what the stock market was going to do, they would be very, very rich. Uh, But the, the, the truth is they don't know because wealth is uncertain wealth we can't we can't know what the economy is going to do tomorrow or in a week or in a month so so Paul is saying tell rich people tell those rich Christians not to put their hope in wealth which is uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our what's that next word enjoyment isn't that interesting that God actually wants you to enjoy things He's not trying to take things from you or, 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 or to steal or rob your joy, but he's trying to actually give you enjoyment. Notice the comparison there, the uncertainty as opposed to the enjoyment. And then he goes on and says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for, what, for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So this morning, what I want to talk about is just that one little phrase that Paul tells Timothy about replacing our uncertainty with enjoyment. How do we move from, being, from discontentment, from being dissatisfied, to being satisfied? That we have to change an, from an attitude of discontentment To an attitude of contentment. But that is very difficult to do, isn't it? Because so much in our society and world feeds our discontentment. And I think it's important for us to understand what the root cause of discontentment is. That the root cause for every discontentment is an unfulfilled expectation. Unfulfilled expectations result in dissatisfaction or discontentment. Let me give you some examples that may or may not have to do directly with money. If any of you have ever gone a period of time where you were out of work, you were unemployed, and you were looking for a job, in the midst of your job search, you felt like you would be content with any job that provided you with an income. 
that you just, if you could just get a job, you'd, you, you'd get over whatever you didn't like about the boss, you'd get over whatever you didn't like about the work environment, you just wanted a job. But what happened six months after you found that job? You found things about the boss you didn't like. You found things about the work environment you didn't like. You found things about the job that you didn't like. You see, your expectations began to change. They began to migrate. They turned from just understanding, I have a need that needs to be met. I need to provide for my family. But once those needs were met, the expectations began to grow. And the expectations themselves gave root to discontentment in your life. And it's not just about a job. Sometimes it might even be about relationships. It may even be about the person to whom you are married. That, that there's this idea, this expectation that we have that I am going to be content. I'm going to have these expectations for this perfect spouse, the perfect husband, the perfect wife. And so you build up these expectations and then you marry the person. And within a very short period of time, what do you discover? They don't meet your expectations, except my wife. She meets all of my expectations. I'm never just, it, it, but this is, this is sort of the root of our discontent, isn't it? That somehow we fall into this trap of believing there's something better, there's something more that we should have. And so our expectations grow, and with our expectations, we also become dissatisfied. This is why no one believes they're rich. Because the minute they arrive at a certain dollar amount that they thought would be enough, they only discover that their expectations have outpaced their income. And so expectations continue to foster in us dissatisfaction and discontentment. And here's something else about discontent and expectations. Expectation is the enemy of gratitude. Now, some of you, you, you just can write that down and go home now because that's all you needed to know. That, that expectations that you have may be preventing you from expressing gratitude where, in fact, you should be grateful. This plays itself out in marriage relationships. It plays itself out in parenting. It plays itself out in your job. It plays itself out in every area of your life. Because you will never be grateful for something that you expect. Because if you expect it, you feel entitled to it. And if you feel entitled to it, you're not grateful. And so maybe for you, it's a spouse or a loved one, and you have these expectations that when you come home, there's a certain standard that will be in the house. The kids will be a certain way. The house will be in a certain condition. And you have an expectation. And you come home, and the expectation is met, but you're not grateful for the fact that the expectation is met. Why? Because that's just how it should be. And when it's not met, then you're angry. And you go through life with these inflated expectations and nobody can ever satisfy you. Nobody can ever make you happy. Nobody ever rises to meet your expectations. Because in your mind, you deserve what it is they do for you. You deserve what it is that you have. And expectation is the enemy of gratitude. And expectations, like appetites, grow when we feed them. And the more an appetite grows, the more it takes to satisfy the appetite. And so I begin to want more. And the more I want, the more I pursue. And the more I pursue and the more I gain, it only leads me to wanting and expecting more. So the more I feed my expectations, the more I will struggle with discontentment. 
And discontentment drives you to lust. And I know when we talk about lust, everybody immediately thinks uh, uh, that, that lust refers only to sex, but lust refers to so many things that we lust and we crave after something. And discontentment drives us to that, and it cr- increases our appetite to consume. And let me tell you something. The world knows that this is true about you. The world knows that it's true about me. That if it can create some level of dissatisfaction, if it can create some heightened level of expectations, it can cause us to lust and crave after things, and it's a ploy to get your money. That's what the marketing companies are after, isn't it? They're trying to get your money. So what do the marketing companies do? They try to make you dissatisfied with the things that you have by putting in front of you something that they think is better, newer, faster, smarter. And so what are they feeding inside of you? They're feeding discontentment. They're trying to grow an expectation and feed this discontentment in order to get money from you. And yet most people look at the church and say, the church is trying to get my money. Ah, the church is trying to save your heart. It's the world that's trying to get your money. It's the world that's trying to take things from you. God and his word wants something for you instead. And so they're constantly making you dissatisfied with your car. Do you know every year they come out with a new model of a car? Why why do they do that? Well, because they're trying to create a level of discontent. Every model has something in it the model before didn't have. Why do they do that? Because they want you not to focus on what it is you have, what you should be satisfied with. They want you to focus instead on what you don't have. If you only had this car, then, then it would be better. If you only had the newer phone, if you only had the newer clothes, if you only had the bigger and the better house. But it doesn't stop with our possessions, does it? They try to do this in your relationships too. The garbage that you watch on television will eventually lead you to believe to become dissatisfied with your family with your spouse, with your children, because they project something in front of you to increase your appetite, expand your expectations, and make you dissatisfied with what it is that God has already entrusted to you. Because they're trying to get something from you when God's word wants something for you. And an overactive appetite to consume results and leads to debt. It leads leads to relational debt, first of all. Think about this. Have you ever known somebody who was never satisfied with anything you did? The answer is yes, you do. You do. We all know those people, don't we? And they're never, ever satisfied. Nothing's ever good enough. I mean, you can, you can get them something, and they'll find the flaw in it. Or if they really like it, they'll say, well, how much did you pay for it? Because it was on sale over at this store. If you'd gotten it there, you'd pay save a little money. I mean, there's never anything that they're satisfied with. Nothing's ever good enough. Nothing is ever, not, nothing is ever soon enough. It would have been good enough if you'd done it last week, but now it's too late. It's not good. And so what happens is relational debt begins to accumulate, doesn't it? Because there's only so much that you can stand living with somebody who's constantly dissatisfied with you, who's ungrateful. They're never grateful for anything. And so relational debt begins to accumulate. And it destroys relationships. It destroys marriages. But it's not just relational debt. It's also financial debt. Because my income can't keep up with my appetites. And so I consume more and more and more. And when I run out of income, what do I do? I just go into debt. 
Because right behind the commercial telling me that I shouldn't be satisfied with my car is another commercial telling me they will give me a loan to buy the car I think I need. And so my debt just grows. My financial debt also expands as my appetite grows. So how do I control my appetite to consume? If my appetite is driving my expectations and my expectation is leading me to be discontent, how do I control my appetite? The first thing you do is you stop feeding it. You stop feeding it. You go cold turkey and you celebrate every day that you abstain from consuming and longing and lusting after material and after wealth. It's called the discipline of fasting and it's an ancient Custom that the church, unfortunately, in many cases has abandoned. But deciding that Jesus really is enough and that you can be satisfied with him. And so you say, I'm going to set a period of time and I'm going to fast or I'm going to abstain from from food, from entertainment, from technology, from spending money. For I don't know what it is, but for you, saying to yourself, do I truly believe that Jesus is enough and that I can be fully satisfied in my relationship with God? Or am I buying into the lie that there's always something more that I need, that the world can supply to meet the need? Some of you need help with this. Because, see, there are lots of addictions in, the, in our society today. Some of them are socially acceptable, and some of them are not. And so we look at the socially unacceptable addictions, and, and we say, well, you should get help. But there are socially acceptable addictions that we don't say you need to get help. But I'm telling you, your appetite to consume and buy and shop and spend is as much an addiction as an addiction to alcohol or drugs. Because if you, if your material possessions, if the things that you own or the wealth you're trying to buy or the things that you're trying to purchase, if, the, if you somehow think that's going to satisfy something, some deep longing inside of you, you have a problem and you need to get help with it. Because it may be past what you can do on your own. I love the fact that we have the Come As You Are ministry on Monday nights. It, because it's a, it's a Christ-centered Uh, recovery program that doesn't focus on any one addiction but it focuses on the human condition which is that we all have a need that we sometimes try to medicate or meet with something other than Jesus Christ some of you need to come Monday night at six o'clock and you need to say hello my name is Gary Weber and I'm addicted to shopping I'm addicted to spending money and it's ruining my marriage and it's ruining my credit and I need help because it's destroying you It's destroying you as much as alcohol would destroy a family. It's destroying you. It's destroying relationships. And as long as you continue to allow it to fester in the darkness and avoid shining the light of God's truth on it, it will destroy everything about you. You need to get help. Get help. So the key to contentment. How do we transition from being discontent to being content? The key to it is to decide to exchange one pursuit for another. What do I mean by that? Discontentment is bridled when you shift your attention from what you want to what others need. You see, it's switching what you're satisfied with and what you're dissatisfied with. See, I don't have to try hard to see the things I want, and you don't either. All you have to do is turn on the television, listen to the radio, or go on the internet, and they're quick to tell you what you want. 
They're quick to tell you the things that you should have. Society is always willing to remind me that I need something newer, that I need something bigger, that I need something better, that I need something faster. But I have to work to keep the needs of other people in front of me. Because I am inclined to turn my head away, aren't you? We are. We see a need in the world, and the first thing we think is, I just don't want to look. If I don't look at that, then it won't be real. But maybe that's the very thing we need to consider in order to control our own appetite. It's to become dissatisfied with the things that God is dissatisfied with. See, I must become discontent about the things that make God discontent. What are those things? God's not content that there are hungry children in the world. And I'm not talking about on the other side of the planet and the commercials you see in the middle of the night when you can't sleep asking you to give to some fund. I'm talking about children that live right here in the city of Jacksonville who will not eat this weekend. The only chance they'll get to have a meal is when they go to school on Monday where they'll get free lunch, a free breakfast and a free lunch. And that will be the only food they have. And they live in our city. God's not satisfied with that, are you? Or do you turn a blind eye? What about people without access to clean drinking water? And I'm not talking about in sub-Sahara Africa. I'm talking within two miles of our own church who pay the same city taxes that you and I pay and yet they don't have access to clean drinking water. God's not satisfied with that. Can we be satisfied with that? Should we be content with that? What about the fact that there are girls who are forced into human trafficking and, and on the route to keep them moving and out of the notice of the officials, there, there's a route that goes from Miami to Atlanta back and forth, and one of the stops is in the city of Jacksonville. And girls as young as 12 and 13 who are being traded in human trafficking pass right by our church on Interstate 95, and is God satisfied with that? No, he is not. So how can we be? How can we be content with the things that make God discontent? What about the fact that in our city there are hundreds, hundreds of kids who are at risk of not even completing high school and have little hope for making a living after that when all they may need is an adult friend who can give them some guidance? God's not satisfied with that. That there are four churches in the city of Jacksonville for every one public school, and yet we can't find enough Christians to go in and mentor at-risk children. God is not satisfied with that, and neither should we be satisfied with that. What about the fact that all over our city there are lonely or neglected senior adults who go without and do without just because there isn't anybody who cares enough to check on them? And God is not satisfied with that. What about people who are caught in the prisons of addiction? Refugees who come to our city who are, in needs of friend, who are just in need of a friend, somebody to help them navigate the complicated world in which we live. See, these are not somebody else's problems in some other place. These are problems right here in our city, right within the shadow of our steeple. And these are things about which the people of Southside have become discontent and have decided to leverage our wealth to do something about them. Because we recognize that God did not make us rich so that we could increase our lifestyle. He made us rich so that we could do something about the things in this world that break his heart. And I, if I'm ever going to stop being discontent with everything in my life, I need to become less aware of the things I want and more aware of the things that others need. And the needs are tremendous. And everything I said on the list, there's somebody in this church who says, I'm not satisfied with that. 
And the minute they were not satisfied with it, they received an invitation and responded to an invitation from a holy and righteous God to join him in a holy and righteous mission to make a difference in this world. See, if I am content with the things that make God discontent, I will be discontent about everything else in my life. If I continue to be content about the things God is unhappy with, about the things that make God get discontent, I will continue to be discontent about everything else. Some of you need to know that because that's why you're constantly pursuing some secret satisfaction out there that you can't find. And so you try, you move from one thing to another, and you try a relationship. Maybe if I just get the right relationship, I'll be satisfied. Well, that didn't work out, so maybe if I just have enough money in the bank, I'll be satisfied. If I get the right job, if I drive the right car, if I live in the right house, and you're bouncing from thing to thing, trying to medicate a dissatisfaction in your soul, that the only way it will ever be satisfied is if you finally become discontent about those things that make God discontent. And suddenly you'll look around and the world will look different to you. Because there is such a thing as a healthy, even a holy discontentment. The kind of discontentment that drives us to God and calls us and invites us to be a part of his mission in the world. C.S. Lewis once famously said that if you have a longing for something, in, something that nothing in this world can satisfy, it's probably because you were not designed for this world. You were designed for something more. You were designed for a firm foundation with treasure that's stored up above for true enjoyment and not something that is so uncertain. And we have to stop medicating our need for God by seeking material wealth and instead seek him first. And all these things will be added unto you, it says in the Bible. And the question is simple, do you believe that or not? Do you believe that? And I don't want you to say yes or no. I want you to look at your life and the way you use the resources God has given you, and that will give you the answer, whether you truly believe that he is enough. See, Paul is a wonderful example of this. The the apostle Paul in the Bible was one who had, had privileges and opportunities because of his birthright, but one day he woke up. God woke him up, meeting him on the road to Damascus, and God appeared to him in a blinding light, and ironically enough, it was the blinding light that caused him to really see his situation and his circumstances. And he moved from being satisfied with the position and the privilege that he had to be dissatisfied with the condition of the world. And so he began to live his life on mission with God. And in the course of that, lots of bad things happened to Paul. But it didn't change his source of satisfaction and contentment. One time he's writing a thank you note to a church that had provided for his needs. And as he's writing this note back to them, he's talking about the needs that they met by giving to him generously. But he says this, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's the secret to contentment. See, Paul was satisfied with Jesus alone. That was enough. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not about winning a football game. It's about the fact that when we truly believe that Jesus is sufficient, we can be fully content in any circumstances of life. That anything that comes our way, we can have victory because our hope is not, is not locked into the material wealth of this world, but it's locked into our confidence in Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just the fact 
that he was satisfied in Christ, he also understood that his contentment was not based on his circumstances. We would do well to learn that, as well, learn that too. Have you figured that out? Have you truly invited Jesus, not just to be your life insurance policy, but to be the satisfaction of your soul? Not just to be your Savior, but to be your Lord. To say that he is, in fact, worth all. There's nothing more valuable than him. There's nothing that can satisfy my soul more than him. Now, I want to challenge you this week. Usually, on the back of your bulletin, there's a a passage, a principle, and a practice. Something to do. And I know many times those just get stuck back in your your Bible and you ignore them. I want to challenge you with uh, with this practice this week. I want you to commit to a spending fast. Commit to a spending fast. What, what does that mean? Spend only the money you must for a predetermined period of time. Maybe a week, maybe a month. I don't know how long. You decide how long it is. Now notice, notice I said only the money you must. Don't call me and tell me you got kicked out of your apartment because you didn't pay your rent. You know, that's not going to work. My pastor said I'm on a spending fast and I can't pay my rent this month. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about all the extra spending that we do. Just take a period of time and say, you know what, I'm not going to satisfy whatever that is inside of me that craves something. I'm just not going to satisfy it. Avoid watching commercials. Avoid looking at magazines. Avoid unnecessary trips to the mall and to the store. Don't go on Amazon.com. Listen, because what you're looking for is not on the internet. And it's not in Target. And it's not in the mall. And it's not in a catalog. What you're looking for is a relationship with your creator and your sustainer and the provider of everything that has ever been. He owns it all. And he's inviting you to manage it with him, to partner with him. But as long as you're trying to find your satisfaction in the things, you will never find true satisfaction in this life. Replace your appetite for consuming by being aware of the needs around you. For the same period of time that you're on this spending fast, just go out of your way to look at the needs. And then pray and say, God, how is it that you would have me to respond? How would you you have me leverage what it is you've given me in order to meet the needs of others? And in that, you will find such a deep satisfaction that you won't be satisfied with anything less. Discontentment is bridled when we stop focusing on what we want and begin to focus on what others need. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, first of all, that you were not satisfied with our condition of brokenness. But you sent your son, who left all the glories and wealth of heaven, to descend into our condition, our poverty, and to exchange his wealth for our poverty, that we might be rich And Father, I'm reminded what you said to Abraham, that you were going to bless him so that he might be a blessing. And Lord, we have been blessed. We've been blessed beyond measure. And yet rather than motivating within us unprecedented generosity, I'm afraid it's only motivated unprecedented greed and a desire for more and more and more. Father, forgive us and help us to seek you first above all things. And to be aware of the reason that you so richly blessed us. And to leverage that blessing 
towards the things in this world about which you are not satisfied, about which you are discontent. Father, break my heart for the things that break your heart. Break this church's heart for the things that break your heart. And let us leverage the wealth that you've entrusted to us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Father, for those who are here today who have been medicating the need in their own life by trying to find the right gadget, buy the right thing, live in the right house, Lord, today I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak truth to them and help them to know that what they're really seeking is you. Help them to place their satisfaction in Jesus Christ who gave everything for their satisfaction. Father, we invite you to move in this time of invitation. Lord, convict us and change us that we might be your agents of change. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.